Hi, I'm Elise. I'm Matt, and welcome to Pod Wraiths, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. If this is your first time joining us, we're two friends watching Star Trek Deep Space Nine and sharing both our deep and irreverent thoughts on your favorite on our favorite Star Trek series. This week, we're talking about Season 3, Episode 23, Family Business, teleplay by Iris Stephen Bear and Robert Hewitt Wolf, and directed by Renee Abergenois. This episode aired on May 15, 1995. This week on Deep Space Nine, Quark's mother violates Ferengi law by earning profit. So I have to say that watching this episode immediately after watching the first episode of the new reality show, MILF Manor, on TLC was an interesting choice that I made. <laughs> Did it, like, activate an Oedipus complex within you or something? <laughs> it just made all of, like, Rom and Quark's, like, bickering with their mom, like, funnier. I think this is a really interesting example of something that we have talked about before doing Ferengi episodes coming out of it's an Armin Shiverman quote I think that's in what you be, leave what we left behind the the DS9 documentary about their a perception a perception that the Ferengi episodes had no pathos or depth to them and they were just straight comedy right and again the the Ferengi plot in this episode is intended to be humorous and satirical but I think there's some really strong character work that's going on there as well. Yeah, we got a overall. Lot. It's a fun episode. Yeah, I like, I like both the A plot and the B plot. Yeah, me so. too. I I really enjoyed this one. Um, it is. It was really amusing to me that at the beginning of the episode, Quark is like worried that Rom's encouragement of Nog joining Starfleet is gonna like end the Ferengi way of life when it's like the real issue apparently is his mom (laughs) um and i thought it was really funny that they not funny but like i liked that they had that at the beginning of the episode because it's like a little teaser into the rest of the episode that we are going to be dealing with ferengi culture for better for worse and everything in between at least before we discuss more of our initial thoughts we do have to do our unofficial segment (laughs) Did you or did you not remember this episode? So I specifically remember the scene where Quark has run up all those flights of stairs at the (laughs) FCA and then like talks about having to have paid to use the stairs and then has to try to bargain to get a chair in the lobby (laughs) because he realizes he's going to pay regardless of him standing or sitting like that bit i totally remembered i remembered that like coin machine the latinum coin machine that they have for for like paying um i didn't remember the story like in general i did also like the conversation that um ben and cassidy have about baseball i remembered that but like i couldn't have told you what episode it was in or if it was a conversation or if it was part of their first conversations or anything like that. Well, the the interesting thing, looking back at this episode, you know, whatever it is, 27 years later from when it aired, is the Quark's experience and the way the Ferengi have set up the Tower of Commerce is pretty much like, you know, air travel in 2023. <laughs> you literally have to pay for everything. Yeah. <laughs> As someone who traveled last week, um, yep, this is very true. 
and why I did not check a bag. Well, I even think some of the, like, and, and granted, it's like, you know, probably some of the more like discounted like airfare airlines. But like, I can't remember which which one it was up here, but I think I remember reading something about even paying for carry on. Yeah, that sounds familiar for some. Well, if you if if you book on Basic Economy, even on United, you can't. You can only bring one personal item. You have to pay for a carry on, or not bring one, or just check your bag and pay for that. So yeah, it's like a lower than economy class. Which you know, if that's not a metaphor for how capitalism does not treat people generally well or as human beings, um. There's a metaphor there. Speaking of metaphors about capitalism, did you want to get into the A-plot a bit here? Or were there, was there any other kind of initial thoughts of the episode you had wanted to share before we dive in? Um, I definitely have a couple things I want to say first. Um, we have three characters in this episode that become recurring. We have Jeffrey Combs as Brunt from the FCA. We have Andrea Martin as just Ishka or uh, Moogie as um, Rom, Moogie. as Rom likes to call her, though later iterations are played by a different actor. And we have Penny Johnson as Cassidy Yates. I knew her previously as the first lady in the earlier seasons of 24. Um, I love Penny Johnson. She was hella shady in 24 and her performance was very enjoyable because she was just like always up to something. Um, but yeah, I very much enjoy all three of these characters. So I'm really happy and laughing that they all started in the same episode. <laughs> well, yeah, it definitely makes sense that like Brent FCA would, would be in the same episode as, as Ishka. Yeah. I believe sure. the reason An- Andrea Martin didn't come back as Ishka was because she was either allergic to the prosthetics or, you know, couldn't come back or because of some kind of reaction to the prosthetics. I don't know if it was like claustrophobia or an allergy oh, or, or something like that, but yeah, that's that's my recollection of why Andrea Martin didn't come back. Yeah, that stinks. But also, I guess a character that is in prosthetics is easier to recast as some, a, with a different actor than someone who's showing their, their whole face. I just want to point out that I think the like, I'm not going to call this a C-plot, but the scene where O'Brien is trying to break into Quark's for... To get the dartboard. The dartboard is so <laughs> stupid and so funny. And then the fact that you kind of think, I thought Cisco was going to stop them, but he was like, yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> um, I also think it's funny that Rom is apparently known for his security systems. Um, I would like to know more about that. It's it's an interesting like catch too, right? Especially, you know, we talked about back in season one, how season one's portrayal of Rom didn't totally jive where didn't totally jive with who we knew Rom to be later. And it's like they're definitely, you know, Rom's coming into his own, especially in this episode. Oh, for sure. About who who, you know, as as rewatchers of the show know Rom to be and even, you know, his his technical prowess that again, is it supposed to be somewhat comedic somewhat not where it's you know you think he's a a bit of a a himbo i guess but uh 
you know, a, a technical savant, maybe <laughs> I in think, some ways. I think that Ram is has, I say this later in the notes, but I think he has an emotional uh, maturity that his brother Quark does not have also. And I think I, I agree. And we really get to dive into that in this episode and where it's like Ram may not have the strong, like, air quotes, business acumen. You mean the business Quark, lobes? Oh, yeah, the lobes for business, the way that Quark and even Ishka do. But I agree with you that his, his like, emotional intelligence quotient is quite high, and the way he navigates the conflict within his, his family and ultimately how much he both loves his mother and his brother and seeks to reconcile them. Like Ishka yeah. even says, he's such a good, like a good, she says a good boy, but like, you know, yeah, good sweet boy. But like, he's such a solid person. Yes. I think um, with that, we have to get into the A plot now because we're like busting at the seams to like talk about it. <laughs> um, I like want to stay on this track is basically what I'm saying. Yeah. No, that works. That works for um, me. So just to back it up a teeny bit, we meet Brunt from the Ferengi Commerce Authority. He shows up to, on Deep Space Nine, introduces himself to Quark, and he puts he hangs a writ of accountability in the bar. And I love that we don't really know what this means, but Rom is screaming, everyone get out of the bar. And like usually you expect Quark to be like, No, I need to make like I need to make money or whatever. But like Quark knows that this is very serious, so he just like I don't know. I kind of just enjoyed Rom's like quick action on that. Basically, he it's like getting an IRS audit is is how I felt about it. Yeah. Yep. Totally. Um, and Quark is being charged with improper supervision of his mother um, because she has been earning profit, which women are not allowed to do in Ferengi culture. One thing I was really surprised about was that Quark hadn't been home to Ferenginar in 20 years. And I didn't even catch that the first time I rewatched the episode earlier, like last week. I only realized that this morning. That is a really long time to be away from home. It definitely speaks to a bit of Quark's pathos in a which that it's like, he basically, and Rom even says this in the episode, left home as soon as he could. And again, I think part of that's wanting to go out and, you know, make his, his fortune and make his way and be like a success within Ferengi society. And Rom even says he, he stayed at home for another 10 years. Um, and that gives Rom insight into both their parents that Quark leaving at such a young age and then not coming back doesn't have. And I think, too, that really speaks to the process of aging and, like, entering adulthood and seeing your parents, caregivers, guardians, whomever, um, as humans for the first time. Because, again, when you're kids, you, you have a kid's brain and different percep- perceptions of... Right your guardians or, or caregivers and then you know you you enter high school and they're in your 20s and like you see your parents guardians caretakers um as the flawed human beings that they are much like everyone is 
And Quark is still very much holding on to this child's perception of his parents' marriage and his parents' dynamic and his parents in general. And Rom doesn't have that. And that's that conversation is something I I really appreciated. Um, But again, I, I think part of it in my analysis of Quark is Quark is also, I think, either run it's either i don't think it's either or i think it's a mix of both but i think he's both running from himself in some ways and then he's also running from what maybe he knows deep down to be true and doesn't want to deal with at home right yeah and this tracks to me with everything that we've talked about with regard to quirk um in the past even his taste in women um i was thinking about that too like he loves like a woman like Dax is, like, wonderful to him, even though he's supposed to be attracted to women who are naked and helpless. Um, and it's it does feel like because he's been gone for so long, it almost it almost feels like how it almost feels like how Worf doesn't know how to really be Klingon sometimes. Like it does. It feels it feels similar to that where like Quark knows what he's supposed to do and knows the rule. You know, we obviously know he memorized all of the um, rules of acquisition and understood them. So I, I think he's studious, but I think he has a lot of emotional work to do for sure. Um, it's, it's interesting that you bring up Worf as a, a next generation character who yes. will have nothing to do with deep space. Nine <laughs> Never in coming episodes. Yeah, no, but like, Worf being raised by adoptive parents mm-hmm. who are human on Earth, and I think there are Jewish humans. <laughs> yeah, they're definitely yeah, they're definitely coded that way. Yeah, for sure. They're like Eastern um, European, like yeah. Well, he's it's from Mints, so I think that's what Belarus. The Belarusians. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I have family from Belarus as well. Maybe Worf and I are related. That is problematic I was just for me. To say that. <laughs> Maybe Worf and I need to be on the opposite of MILF Manor or something. <laughs> anyway, I love Worf I was like, is, is Worf all I'm look- going to say. I, I, I was like, is Worf looking for a spinner? Um, anyways. <laughs> Wouldn't he need two? Sorry. It was bad. No, my, where I was going to take it was probably even worse. So it's, it's fine <laughs> to stop that line of thought there. Um, no, but it's like, again, like you mentioned, like how... Worf learned to be Klingon through books. Yeah. And in some ways, Quark being raised in the Ferengi culture, like he did that as well. But I think he does realize (laughs) who he more takes after out of both of his parents. And I think he's running from needing to process that and the ways it doesn't jive with the soulless minions of Ferengi orthodoxy. Yes, that's fair. He's so mean to his mom. It was like I wanted to punch him in the face. Um, I think he's probably even meaner to himself, but yeah, it's not. That's great. probably true, but like you should be. I think it's a manifestation of that, but I I agree. You should yeah. be more respectful too. Well, yeah. everyone, not just your mother, but like yeah. So, you know, Frankie culture is I would say quite gender critical and misogynistic. Um, I think it's both of those things. And it's so over the top that it 
And I think that's where some of the comedy comes in. Um, and I don't think it's funny to treat women that way, of course. But the the acting of Brunt reacting to Moogie wearing clothes and talking to him was very funny to me. Like, he he's, like, covering his eyes. Like, he doesn't even want to look at her. And so I found a lot of comedy in the way everyone was reacting to each other. Um, there's another scene where, I don't remember if it was during, like, the fight that they had, or if it was before that, where Rom is, like, talking to both Moogie and Quark, and then both Quark and Ishka, like, almost break the fourth wall and look at the camera, um, and they're both, like, Rom's an idiot in that moment, and that was very funny to me. So, while the, the plot as you said, was is more serious than some of the other Ferengi plots. The comedy is just in the little facial reactions and, like, the body movement of, like, everyone reacting to each other. And that really works for me in this episode. <clears throat> so the reason that the writ of accountability is placed in the bar and why... Quark has to close the bar and return home for the first time in 20 years is Ishka is accused by the FCA of earning profit. And within the (laughs) patriarchal structures of Ferengi culture, women aren't allowed to earn profit. They are not just, as you say, barefoot and pregnant at home, but like literally nude. And like, Again, it's you're right. It's 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 played for comedy, but like we've talked about the Ferengi existing as a satirical element of modern at this time 20th century or now early 21st century humanity, right? And so it's really interesting as you point out to watch this 27 years later and it reading not differently, but like deeper to me in terms of false binaries and, you know, the idea of bioessentialism or, you know, gender critical, like the idea that identity is tied in with organs you were born with. Yeah. And the ways in which that false, that binary is, is enforced within Ferengi society. Especially and with the use kept... of the word females over and over and over and over again. Like your, your brain well, yeah, can it's, help it's females and males. Direction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Ex- exactly. Reducing like it, people it triggers down to their genitals. Yeah. No. And it definitely like activates those parts of, of, of my brain, especially now. And I kept then thinking about, I can't remember the name of the episode, but it's the one with Pell, right? Oh, where um, that was the first Pell, one, wasn't it? The first was that one of the first Ferengi ones? I think so. So it's probably profit so. and loss. Um, yes, yes, I think yes, yes. That that sounds right. Um, where Pell is an assigned female at birth individual who presents and dresses and like even like to the point of you know prosthetic like gender confirming aids um 
with the the bigger lobes and stuff right, to right. Pre- present mail mm-hmm. um to be able to like similar to ishka go out and and earn profit and there's definitely i think a non-intentional but you know trans reading of of pell and then also i think quark's queerness and the ways in which he's not you know quote-unquote a good ferengi um in within within the the culture sphere yeah i i agree with you and i I, like i think this episode has so much depth to it that you could like easily just like not pay attention to but the strong implication of this episode is that quark and his mother are very similar and quark takes more after her than his father right as much as he holds his father on this unrealistic pedestal that rom not essentially like correctly like knocks I him have, off of i and have a, kind of a timeline question real quick yep do, do we know when his father died like was it in the 10 years that rom was still there or was it before quark left my inference was he like his father was still alive Right, and so that that's what allowed Rom and his like you know, a, early adulthood to see his father for what he was, whereas right. Quark was, you know, whatever he, he was, the cook on the freighter mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's because what he says it's... the age of ascension. We don't know. We don't know when that is, but I well, assumed it was like seventeen, eighteen, something like. I that. I mean, we do know when it is because Rom. Because Nog just basically did that. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. And he correct, got correct, all correct. of his money and was like, "I wanna, I wanna use this to get out of Starfleet or whatever." So yeah, I think whatever age Nog is is the age of ascension. Um, so that kind of says to me that did Quark not go home for his father's funeral? Even like that is wild. To me, means the only reason he's going. At the beginning of this episode, I don't mean, like, by the end of it, but he, the only reason he's going back home is because it's going to affect his own livelihood. Like, if it was just on his mom, I don't think he would have gone. Like, if his mom was in trouble and it didn't affect him at all, I feel like he would have just, like, ditched her because they haven't seen each other in so long and they're so estranged. Well, and, like, again, like, Quark views his responsibility as to, you know, provide his mother, you know, the, the stipend to live off of and... She's even said it's it's more she describes it as more than than generous. So like again, I think I I mean feel... she's using his money to do it or whatever, the money he gives her. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I feel like there Quark still has that like sense of like responsibility and I do feel that there's or I maybe I'm just, you know, grafting this on, but whatever, that's most of you know, that's a part of criticism. Um, there's this internal conflict bet- in between Quark, and it's like, instead of dealing with it, that's probably like because coming home forces him to like deal with it, right? Exactly. Um, so that's that's what he's he's kind of avoiding, you know, addressing the the conflict or like opening the closet in his brain, um, and having all those feelings and stuff come out. I was really happy with the scene where. After Rom lied to both Quark and his mother to get them to be in the same room, which I thought was very smart of him. 
these Some are Tyrion the, Lannister shit. Yeah, like these. This is the kind of thing you're <laughs> like. Where's Marcella going? <laughs> which which yeah. which uh, country? Yeah. Um, and you know he tells Cork, "Oh, mom said you can have fifty percent of her profit," and he tells his mom, "Cork oh, will let you have all of your profit." You know he he says whatever he needs to say to get them in the room. Um, I love this because Rom keeps a lot of emotions inside because Cork is. I do think Quark has a stronger personality. He's his boss at the bar, so he has to listen to his brother a lot. I mean, Quark is is older. Um, so this, and as I said earlier, you know, Rom is a lot more in touch with his emotions. So it finally got to a point where Rom exploded with his emotions and had to explain to his brother what he missed in the time that he left um and it's just so i just thought this was such good acting um from max like he just did such a good job in the scene where he's just yelling at them and telling him that their dad was not great at business um and that quark has all these wrong ideas about what their family dynamic was like and i just you know he rom couldn't take it anymore he needed to come clean and not come clean, but, like, tell Quirk, like, what was what. And I just thought it was, I don't know. It just made this episode so much deeper. It was a really good scene. Well, and even before that earlier when Rom's talking to Ishka, and Ishka's like, Quark doesn't know how lucky he is to have a brother like you. And Rom's like, no, he does. He just has trouble saying it. And I'm just like, oh, Rom. I know. I just want to give him a hug. I feel like I know you've joked about Rom being an Aries and I'm an Aries, but I do feel like Rom <laughs> and I are similar. Um, I think Rom is somewhat like of a family fixer. And I'm I not that I I wouldn't say I have that role because my family t- is a little bit more open with how we're feeling than um, than Quark's family is. Um, but I think like I'm always trying to smooth things over and I feel like. Yeah. Rom is kind of like that too. So yeah. I love Rom. And then I think Rom's not in the room for this, but Moogie and Quark have like a really a real big heart to heart where she finally says, you know, I Rom is like your dad and I always think you took after me, which you said earlier. And it's just really sweet and like he's finally ready to hear her in this moment where if they had this conversation earlier in the episode, I don't think he would have been listening. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like that moment earlier when, you know, he was like, someone needs to put my mother in her place. And she walks in the room and it's like, oh, do you have anyone up who's up to the task or something like that? It's <laughs> like, oh, so great. Yeah. So great. I love her. I was really, I know I said I, I did remember the part where Quirk was in the, um, the FCA uh, building and <laughs> had to pay to stand or pay to <laughs> have a chair and like that whole bit is just really funny um i think the only thing that would have made it funnier is if it was like a doctor's office or something like something that would like should just be free obviously um there's so much bribery he he bribes brunt to like not tell anyone that this happened because he's like ashamed even if after it's settled I also yeah. love that Rom and Moogie have a secret, basically. I don't think Quark knows that she didn't give up all of her profits. <laughs> um, so, 
I think it's also really interesting that the penalty for your mother doing this is that you have to pay back all the money yourself. Like that yeah. is wild. Yeah, and and I think that again speaks to the patriarchal nature of Ferengi culture in which it it's like pre like suffrage. Um Right. In in, in era, like period in like the Western world where it's mm-hmm. like they don't see women as persons. Yes. Right? It's it's like they're more akin to property or somewhere in between. I don't think they're totally considered, you know, chattel, but you know, somewhere in between legal personhood and you know yeah. the alternative. It reminds me of um when Sybil gets really political on Downton Abbey and um her grandmother basically is like, Your husband will tell you how to vote. <laughs> it's like it just makes me think of that. I cringe so much when like people even still have that like perspective now or like it's even, you know, there's that in the first season of Mad Men where um, I think Betty's talking to Helen Bishop. And oh, yeah. And they're like, a, we're voting Hel- for blah, blah, blah. We don't know who we're voting for yet. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like and it's a it's group. Like, I... like it's a group decision. And by group decision, you mean the husband tells yeah. everyone. And I, I definitely have met people like that. Yeah, yeah. I've I've um, I think I've met people that do that as well um just sad you know what's not sad being set up by your son (laughs) i was gonna say cassidy yates but (laughs) sure both why not both we're both we're we're both so good at segues we're so good at segues (laughs) you were just supposed to play along and say what so i could so i could have just said my joke Uh, (laughs) and by joke i mean segue it wasn't a joke no, it's way funnier well, I mean, that we, we could fu- do it again. Oh no, I, I'm more amused that we fucked it up. <laughs> Did we fuck it up though? No, we didn't. I don't know. So, okay, if I were Benjamin Cisco, I would be so annoyed that everyone knows that my son's trying to get me to talk to this woman. <laughs> I would be overwhelmed as fuck. But thankfully, I'm not Ben because Ben just seems to be like. Eye rolling it, but also like not that bothered. Oh, Jake, 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 Jake. <laughs> this whole this is why I say Deep Space Nine is like the Melrose place of like Star Trek because these bitches are so gossipy, it's ridiculous. <laughs> Dax knows about it, uh. O'Brien, Bashir, like everybody knows that Ben is supposed to go meet Cassidy Yates, the freighter captain. <laughs> yeah. Mm. He finally goes to see her in that cargo bay she's been working in, and I love her immediately. She's capable, she's smart, she's quick-witted, and she's very cute. What do you think? I agree. And just, like, again, it's this is one of those those things where it's it's hard to, like, put yourself in the headspace of, like, seeing this episode for the first time in some ways. But it's, like, I wonder... If it's surprising or not surprising that, like, Ben finally decides to, like, you know, visit Cassidy and introduce himself, like, in the the cargo bay, right? Because, like, last episode, or a couple episodes ago, whenever it was, um, when Cassidy is first mentioned by Jake. It was in Explorers, which was last. Explorers, yeah. The last episode episode. Ben just kind of like laughs it off and then like it definitely 
germinates and grows and it's like does everyone knowing push him in that direction i guess it didn't not push him in that direction but i think that he would have done it anyway um i'm glad i I don't mean to like get ahead of the story i mean obviously i said that cassidy becomes a recurring character i don't think that that's a spoiler but in the past i have not liked how they've handled him romantically especially that episode where that guy's wife was like seeing things Um, and i hated that episode second sight yeah thank you i couldn't remember the name of it but like i hated that because like he's been through so much trauma and they've used his wife's death multiple times i just want him to find someone nice to hang out with yeah and like i think to look at it like a little bit more broadly some of like the previous like you know second sights etc like romantic ep type like episodes like even you know Bashir get, got some of those like if it was it Melora um right a couple seasons ago um I think that's just kind of also a flaw of Star Trek generally of, of this era to that point where it's like oh I'm gonna like because on TNG it's like I'm leaving Starfleet to be with this person and at the end of the episode like everything gets kind of like reset so oh, it's, God. it's i just definitely... remember dax almost left with that guy that was on well goodwin from lost that was like on that planet that just like didn't came back every so often yeah oh, that was awful yeah. sorry and so it, it's it's no 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 nothing to apologize for so it's just interesting that obviously like you know there's a little bit more of like a a long game kind of continuing thing which i think again speaks to the ways in which as we nearing as we're nearing the end of the the third season of DS9 kind of starting to chart out its own territory, right? Yep. Um yeah. And I know you mentioned it before, but that whole like idea of Cisco or not Cisco walking by Miles trying to break into Quark which is close <laughs> to get his dartboard. The lucky, it, like, that's the just lucky su- dartboard. <laughs> yeah. That has such such like it makes Deep, Deep Space Nine feel like such a lived-in place. Yes. That it's like, in another episode, that would have been part of the B-plot. Yeah, like, for you know, sure. Yeah, little little bits what, like that make me wonder what everyone... Like, what's Morn up to this week? Like, I don't need yeah. to know, but I like thinking about it. Yeah, yeah. What did you think about Dax saying that if... If she was still Curzon, she would have already like asked Cassidy out, and you know Ben would have missed his chance. What did you think about that? Um, I thought that Zax was just kind of nagging him. Like I think she was just playing around with him. Um, yeah, Curzon was a piece of shit, so maybe he would have done that. But like, I think she was just teasing him. I didn't really take too much stock in it. Yeah, fair enough. What a, did enough. you think more about more about it? I mean, not much more. It's just like, and I think it's more a reflection of like probably who Curzon was, as as you say. Um, but yeah, that idea of like competitiveness, like romantically and like romantic rivals. I don't, I don't know. I there's not there's not like a lot there. And again, I'll just. Like I think, like you said, that the, take the comment at face value as it's as it's intended. Um, yeah, I don't think Cisco directly like seeks Cassidy out as a result of that. Like you know, but yeah, anyways, I, yeah. yeah. There, 
I think I'm probably thinking about that too hard because like I've been I've been rewatching lately like I rewatched 500 Days of Summer and then the other day I rewatched Scott Pilgrim versus the World and like Scott Pilgrim especially has this very strong like kind of well he Scott has to defeat the seven evil exes and like all of that so it's like I don't know perceived ownership like rom- romantic ownership or ownership like through like romantic connections um and like competitive competitiveness for that it's just something i've been thinking about but i don't i think that's me bringing you know other things into this that aren't necessarily textual right um i think you so just pay no attention no, but I pay think... no attention to the man behind the curtain. <laughs> I will say that I think you just explained to me why I don't like Scott Pilgrim as like a movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've never read the read it, so like I can't comment on that. But like, the, I don't. I'm not into like the competition thing. And it's probably also why I'm not going to watch much more of Milf Manor as well. So. Ben and Cassidy go on this very cute coffee date where they find out that they both love baseball. And that was so charming. That was actually, like, again, it's it's the big payoff to the entire, like, B-plot of the episode. But it, like, it, like, almost, like, pretty much gave me, like, the same sort of, like, warm, fuzzy feelings as, like, watching Before Sunrise does, where it's, like, oh, love does exist. Yeah. Or, like, it's just, like, a really good, like, first date where you, like, you know, find something to, like, connect on. And, yeah, to, like, invoke 500 Days of Summer and things my sister has, my sister has even told me in quoting that movie around the time it came out, just because a girl likes the same bizarro crap you do doesn't mean she's your soulmate, but... It just was a really fun exchange, and the way that um, Johnson and Brooks play it is chef's kiss. I I also really like it because you don't get the impression that Jake knew about this. Um, like I don't think Jake knew that she liked baseball because he's she's surprised that they like it. So it just like that was really cute that it wasn't even like us that wasn't part of the setup. You know, they yeah. just naturally found out that they have a common interest, and it's cute great and again just you know trek fun fact and again this is ds9 like lacing things in cestus 3 was a planet first visited in star trek the original series it's the one where um the the episode arena where kirk fights the gorn exactly i love anything with the gorn so bring back the gorn as a person in a suit please (laughs) don't like the cgi gorn um but we, I do like the the Gorn storyline in Strange New Worlds, though. We just see, like, a baby Gorn in that episode. Yeah. Right? We, we don't see any adult Gorn? Yeah. No. Okay. Well, we saw an, we saw adult Gorn in Lower Decks. There was a Gorn wedding, which might yeah, be... Right, but that's that's all animated. I'm talking oh, about... Oh, I know. Like, I'm just being yeah. difficult. Um, The Gorn wedding is one of my favorite Lower Decks jokes. So I had to mention it. Yes, yeah, speaking of the original series of the Altair Water Thirst Quencher, Altair Water first being mentioned by Dr. McCoy in Star Trek Three. Who are you thirsting for this week, Elise? Um, I know we just talked about it, but I am thirsting just on Ben and Cassidy's date. And she the way she says, You know about baseball? And he's just like, It's my favorite sport and I'm like <laughs> I'm joking, but I'm like, Oh, get married, please. 
<laughs> uh, just like like sliding in second. Oh, that Wait, was so. I know what that is. Yeah, is that, that, that sounds, sounds like, like baseball. baseball. I loved it. That whole little conversation was wonderful. I'd like to read like an eight hundred or thousand word like you know piece on how a sport that's apparently been dead for two hundred years got picked up on Cestus three and became popular again. I was trying to think of like what an equivalent for that would be now. And like the thing I went to was like how over the last like 10 ish years, it's like swing dancing has like regained popularity. But again, swing dancing is like maybe a hundred years old. I'm going to argue less than, than like 200. So I'm going to argue that my, that swing dancing never went out of style because I, had friends that took swing dancing lessons before our prom in high school and like it was awesome people people were doing swing i i i'm just gonna argue that that is not a similar example (laughs) i mean fair 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 enough um at least out here in the boonies further away from from the cultural center okay, of the West that is New York City. <laughs> yes, I do New live York an hour City. from New York City. Um, you were still born there. I know. I don't claim Concrete it because we moved before I was three. Made of. Did you have a different thirst quencher or are you going to piggyback on some my cute ones? Yeah, again, as always, it was, <laughs> you know, piggybacking on that. I'm, just I'm like, joking. I mean, and I think too that was like. The only I really option, enjoyed really. this episode, but that, that, yeah, it's, it, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. I was going to say under different circumstances, Naked Moogie could have been an Altair water th- thirst quencher, but when she's standing next to her son to comfort him is not the time. Again, thinking of so many jokes that I shouldn't say <laughs> on the podcast to be out there forever on the internet. <laughs> All right. Where I do differ from you is in most Star Trek thing. My nominee for most Star Trek thing of the episode is the ways in which the galaxy in Star Trek is both big and small. Um, Small in that it was really easy and, you know, seemingly within not a lot of time, Quark is able to (laughs) get from Deep Space Nine to Ferenginar. It's like Game of Thrones season seven speed. Yeah, but then at the same time, um, and again, this I admittedly this is a nitpick, but at the same time, Cestus Three is on the other side of the Federation apparently from Deep Space Nine, so far away that it takes two weeks for a subspace communication. So, both big galaxy, both small galaxy, people travel or things travel at the speed of plot and that's fine it's just feels very star trek yeah i i think that's a really good call out um it made no sense except for it, it, it the plot needed it to work i but- also found Fregonar very relaxing with the constant rain sounds <laughs> um i was reading speaking of Fregonar, real quick that they purposely maybe per maybe intentionally like made the doors like kind of like hobbit homes a little bit oh because good catch, iris good catch. iris oh well i didn't really catch it i i read i read up on this but apparently iris Stephen bear loves lord of the rings so it just like might have gotten in there because of that um my most star trek thing is basically i know we talk a lot about gene's vision and how people were not supposed to be 
fighting anymore and we were supposed to live in this utopia. So for me, it's using a different species um, and their culture to talk about real issues like misogyny because we couldn't possibly show humans being misogynistic in Star Trek. That would be bad. Heaven forbid. Yes. (laughs) Heaven forbid. We can't have any conflicts. No. Uh, I'm going to stop that thought there before I go on another rant about (laughs) the Roddenberry box. Well, until next time, Elise, where can folks find more of you on the internet? You can find me at Twitter, Letterboxd, and Storygraph at chicken double underscore attendee. That's T-E-N-D-I. And you? Yeah, you can catch me on Twitter and Letterboxd as well at Maddie Hugh, M-A-T-T-Y-H-U-G-H. You can also catch us together on Twitter and Instagram at PodRates, and you can email us at PodRates at gmail.com. Please remember to rate and review us on the podcatching system of your choice. Thank you again to our editor, Melissa, and DJ Empirical for our interstellar theme song. And until next week, computer and program. Bye.